She Becomes, a podcast from the Junior League of Houston about unlocking the potential of women and training the next generation of women leaders. When I say resourceful, I mean, how do we take uh, whatever we have at hand, whether they be physical resources or immaterial resources, uh, such as such as time or experience or concepts, and make the most out of those out of those resources. Welcome to She Becomes. I'm Lauren Cooper. Today, we are sitting down with Dr. Scott Sunshine, Rice University Professor of Management and New York Times bestselling author. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. So today we are going to explore navigating the new normal as we all continue to adjust to changing the pandemic world. No question, we've all had to adapt in one way or another this past year and a half from pivoting to more virtual meetings versus in person or just working from home. So Scott, you wrote a recent article about how you transformed one of your Rice MBA leadership classes into an online course, despite having limited experience with online instruction. You also talk about how the pandemic will make us more resourceful. In this uncertain time, why do you see this as an opportunity? Well, I, I think the, the first thing to start off with is uh, we've all faced a lot of uh, constraints and challenges in the last 18 months as we're navigating a lot of uncertain times. And I think we have a choice to make. And I think the choice to make is whether or not uh, we uh, see what's in front of us as an opportunity and use it as moments of, of growth and development, or you know whether or not um, we succumb to the, the pressures of what we're facing. And that's not an easy thing to do because there are real challenges out there and people are uh, working longer hours. Uh, they have additional responsibilities uh, in the home. I had my children last year all at home for, for virtual school. And this is creating a, a crushing environment uh, for, for lots of folks. Um, but there are some things that we can do. And that, that starts with trying to find the silver linings and the challenges that we have in front of us. So if we can start to see moments where we can expand our skill set um, we not only can come out of the pandemic uh, as, as a survivor, but also potentially thriving. And for me, uh, a big challenge was early in the pandemic, I had about 48 hours notice to take one of my signature classes uh, completely online. And I never had taught online before. I'd never used Zoom before. This was all very new to me. And that's a really unnerving situation that I was facing. And I think it was very similar to what a lot of people were facing when they had new work challenges and new tasks and things they had never done uh, before. I chose to see this as a, as a moment of trying to expand uh, the way that I teach, modernize my teaching, uh, try and make what changes to my curriculum I could in the 48 hours notice I had to make it more relevant for the world that I thought we would soon be facing. And I'm not saying that's easy. I don't want to be Pollyannish about this because uh, there are real struggles. And I think we need to honor those struggles of, of people who are working and especially working parents. Uh, but there is choice that we have in, in some situations. And uh, to the extent that we can make the most of those choices, I think we'll be the better for it. Wow, you only had 48 hours. That's amazing to, to pivot and do all of that in 48 hours. So did it all go off without a hitch? I wouldn't say it went off without a hitch, but it, it went off. And I, I think it was, uh, it was a, a pretty good experience uh, for the students. And it was a good experience uh, for me. But of course, any time that you're uh, trying to innovate uh, in very uncertain times with very short notice, uh, there are going to be mistakes that get made. And again, uh, you can try and ruminate on those mistakes and think about the things that you did wrong and what you could have done better. Or you can also celebrate the things that you did right and what we were able to do within uh, 48 
48 hours notice and providing an experience for our students. And I think on the whole, uh, it was a very positive experience for all of us, but you know, certainly it was far from perfect. So tell me about some of your research areas and how the past year has shaped those. I'd love to hear more. A lot of my uh, research is on understanding how we can be more resourceful. Uh, and when I say resourceful, I mean, how do we take uh, whatever we have at hand, whether they be physical resources or immaterial resources, uh, such as such as time or experience or concepts, and make the most out of those out of those resources. I've been very busy uh, since the uh, almost the beginning of the pandemic, uh, looking at one industry segment that's been especially hard hit. Uh, during this pandemic, and that's the performing arts uh, industry. Uh, this is an industry where uh, you can't, you couldn't have an audience uh, in person for uh, at least uh, the early stages of the pandemic. Uh, you couldn't put people on the same stage and congregate, so you lost the ability to uh, practice together. You lost the ability uh, to drive revenue through uh, having uh, people uh, in your performance areas. And I'm trying to understand how they can cope and be resilient in these challenging times. And uh, I think performing arts people are remarkably creative and it's it's been uh, really fun to kind of see how they've been able to evolve uh, during these uh, very difficult times for them. How has the pandemic changed the way you've approached teaching and how would you describe your new normal in both your personal and professional life? Well, it, it's gone through iterations. Um, you know, last year I was entirely online with my teaching. Uh, I'm still basically entirely online with my research and the interviews that I do and uh, collaborations I have are, are all done uh, virtually right now. Um, it's changed uh, how I've taught in the sense that uh, I didn't want to just take the same thing I was doing and put it on Zoom. Uh, that's not that's not a, a rele as relevant of an experience as I thought that I can provide my students. The challenge for me was how do I how do I utilize the fact that uh, we are over Zoom to teach new skills uh, for what I think will be the future of work, which is a lot more online collaboration. So this year uh, we're fully in person uh, at Rice, and my classes are all in person. Uh, but I'm actually bringing back some of the Zoom features that I learned when I had to be fully online to try and instill lessons of leadership uh, about managing teams that are geographically dispersed uh, and you know, some of the challenges about not being in the room with people, uh, which I think is going to be the new normal for a lot of work uh, that people face when we go towards more of a, a hybrid model. That's actually what I was just going to ask you about. It sounds like it's more of a hybrid approach. I know for a lot of us, I mean, I, I, I know I'm in the position now where my work has transitioned to more of a hybrid approach. So it's half in office and half Zoom, but it sounds like people, you know, to your point, are being more resourceful with what they have. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, hybrid work is something that uh, one of the things I think a lot of people have learned during the pandemic is this standard uh, be in the office, uh, FaceTime is what really matters the most, is really a, a norm that was shattered. I think there were a lot of companies at the beginning of the pandemic that were reluctant uh, to really kind of lose uh, control and, and be able to physically monitor what their employees were doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think a lot of people have learned that uh, people can still be productive when they're not under the constant eye of, of management. I mean, these are enlightened leadership principles that we've been teaching for a while that uh, sound really good in theory, but are too infrequently practiced by people. So one of the delights for me during this pandemic is seeing that managers are, are beginning to learn that uh, they don't need to keep as watchful an eye on people all of the time. But I think there's also a more kind of uh, uh, really like ideological shift in, in how we think about work as well. And so much, so much of, of work has been about being the model employee, which 
has been interpreted historically as you're going to just work the longest hours and there's this axiom that says you're going to show up before your your boss gets to work and you're going to leave before your boss uh, or you're going to leave after your boss uh, exits the building and i think that's just a really bizarre way to calculate uh, someone's contribution to work to focus on their inputs and not their outputs so i think the pandemic has sped up a lot of what i would call enlightened management practices where uh, leaders are learning uh, first by necessity because they couldn't have people in the office uh, but now by experience that uh, we can actually give more discretion and autonomy to people and they can still deliver for us and then that, of course, is what people want to get out of work. And I think the pandemic and a lot of its challenges, both in terms of uh, just seeing loved ones that you have uh, potentially suffering uh, from COVID or uh, people that you know, and just having some time to reflect on what people want to get out of life has also led to a reconsideration of how employees want to engage with their work organizations. I think a lot more people are not looking at their work organizations as, as just a place uh, to exchange their labor for a wage. I think they're looking at their work organizations to be more responsible uh, to society and to their communities and to treat them more humanely. Uh, and by humanely, I mean uh, recognizing that, you know, they're just not, you know, people who work aren't just People who work, they have they have lives outside of work. Uh, they have families, and you know certainly uh, there's been a lot of challenges on the family side uh, for everyone uh, in the past year and a half. But I think especially for women, a lot of women have left the labor force during the pandemic, which has uh, set set back so much progress that has been made in recent times. And I think you know more enlightened companies are going to uh, start paying more attention to what their working environment is like. I mean, it's a very tight labor market right now, and uh, things uh, beyond simply thinking about wages are going to be more important in the future. We were just talking about how many companies are really navigating this new normal we are in. And I know you've worked with several large companies when it comes to change. So no one in this world expected what happened this past year and a half. But based on what you've seen, I think you kind of touched on it a little bit, but elaborate and kind of talk about you know what you've seen the shift in, in large companies and what they've done. But I think the, the first thing is that the long-term planning cycle is something that's you know even harder to do. I mean, it was a bit of a farce to to think that companies can really plan out so far in advance. A lot of companies make strategic plans that go back, you know, five years. And in, in 2015, I think a lot of them got clever in thinking ahead. Well, five years from 2015, that's going to be 2020. We're going to have this really clever strategic plan called Vision 2020. And then 2020 comes across, and uh, of course, uh, that vision turned us out to be really blurry. So I think uh, the, the biggest change we're going to see is shortened planning cycles and embracing uncertainty, because it's hard to predict what's going to happen uh, five years from now, let alone even you know just a year from now or even next quarter for a lot of organizations. So those organizations uh, that can thrive uh, and will continue to thrive will be those that have uh, learned to recognize the information that they, they know uh, in the immediate future is going to be a lot more accurate than when they can predict five years down the road. So instead of tricking ourselves into thinking that we can predict an unknowable future, uh, what I think we're going to see in terms of sh shifting is recognizing that we can only plan uh, so far in advance and that we have to embrace uncertainty and recognize that uh, just because we think something's going to happen in five years certainly doesn't mean that it's actually going to happen in five years. So I think I think planning is one of the, the biggest things we're going to see um, change uh, in the post-pandemic world. And I, it, 
mentioned that I had listened to your podcast with Brene Brown and you discuss your book, Stretch. Can you tell me more about the book and what you see as the guiding principles or values that navigate this reality? So in Stretch, I, I make a distinction between two different ways about thinking about all of the resources in our work and life. Uh, the first I'm going to call uh, chasing. Chasing is this belief that uh, the more that we have, uh, the more that we can accomplish. Um, so if we want to feel like we can make a big impact at work, we need a bigger budget or uh, we need the status of a higher title or we make comparisons of what you know, our, our team size or budget looks like uh, compared to other people. And the reality is, is that uh, that's really just a pathway to uh, mental uh, unhealth uh, because it perpetually puts us in this state of mind that says, for me to make more contributions or for me to find success or a satisfaction in work or life, I need more. It's an outward turn looking at other people. And I mean, one of the, the hot topics in the news these days is uh, what, what social media is doing, especially to, to teenage girls. And what we're seeing is some of these same mechanisms also at work at play where we, we make these dangerous social comparisons to what other people have. And it puts us in a, in a pretty depressed state. Uh, research uh, you know, going back at least 10 years now has showed these really deleterious effects of these types of uh, social comparisons. Um, so what the science teaches us is that when we're chasing, uh, we don't end up more successful, we end up less successful, and we certainly end up more, uh, you know, less, less, less satisfied. In contrast, stretching is an inward turn. It's a, it's a turn that says, what are the goals that I want to accomplish and work in life? And then it's about using what we already have in hand, as opposed to worrying what's in someone else's hand to go make those goals a reality. It's the science of resourcefulness in allowing us to creatively activate whatever we have around us, whether it be um, limited time or limited money or limited experience, and to recognize that if we just think about these things in, in a different way, uh, we can activate them and make them even more valuable than they appear. So what was your inspiration for this book? Before I became an academic, I worked in Silicon Valley during the, the boom and bust of the dot-com era. And, you know, I get out there and it's this, you know, really, you know, I was 22 years old, it's really exciting, um, uh, time to be at this hot flying startup and had raised all of this venture capital from you know all of the best VCs in Silicon Valley. It seemed to have so much promise. I worked with so many hardworking and just really smart uh, people. And for the six months, it was like one big celebration and we'd hire people every week. We just have people coming in the door. And then all of a sudden the uh, tech market imploded and with it, uh, so that our business and we actually had to survive, not just live from one capital raise to another, but we actually had to build a sustainable business. And we had spent so much time chasing, how can we hire more engineers? Because if we don't have more engineers than our competitor, we're going to fail. How can we... Uh, uh, raise more money so we can increase our marketing budget. How could, you know, these were the questions. We're really good at two things. We're really good at raising money. We're really good at spending money. What we weren't good at was actually building a business that made sense. And so we went from record growth to record implosion as venture capitalists stopped writing us money. And um, you know, after four rounds of, of layoffs uh, that had fortunately uh, survived, I said, you know, I'm really curious, like, how can you take so much abundance so much talent, so much money, so much time and effort that people put in 
and get nothing out of it. Um, whereas if you go back to kind of the traditional model of the garage startup, it's this scrappy business with, you know, a couple of founders, not a lot of money, putting together a bunch of things and, and making it work. So I, I wanted to really understand what was really that, that science of, of allowing organizations and people to go awry with so much while allowing people with so little uh, to thrive. Um, and so I, I went back to grad school uh, to try and figure that out. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's with, with all that you have, it's you know kind of working through it and going through, and it's it's amazing. You have all these things, but it's like you need more. You need more. It sounds like it could be mentally exhausting. <laughs> well, it is. It is mentally exhausting. It's psychologically exhausting. It's it's kind of like you're you're on a treadmill when you make social comparisons, and you every every time you hit your goal, you turn up the speed of the treadmill. But you're actually not making any forward progress. You're just having to work harder and harder to meet the next set of demands that you have. And that's how a lot of people experience these comparisons. Where instead, if they were to just take that mental energy and focus inward on on the goals that truly matter to them and what they already have at hand, they'd actually be making a lot more forward progress. The Junior League of Houston is made up of hundreds of women who care about their community and they want to develop their own potential. So what advice would you give to them to be more resourceful? So I think it, it first starts with taking stock of of the resources uh, that you have. And that could be anything from the time that you have or the experience that you have. Um, I think um, I, I know from my own personal experience, um, I think a lot of people struggle with uh, being working professionals. And I imagine that a lot of your audio uh, listenership uh, is like that as well. And to kind of think about how leveraging experience in one domain of your life can really inform uh, another domain. So what is it about professional work that can make you a better parent? And what is it about parenting that can make you a better professional? So they just give you a, a simple example. I think uh, parents have to develop an incredible amount of patience and emotional intelligence uh, to deal with uh, uh, you know, their day-to-day -day experiences with their children, or, or at least this parent certainly has had to. Um, you know, how, can, how can those skills and what you develop outside of work uh, be brought into the office to increase your contribution? That doesn't involve uh, doing anything extra on your part other than making a connection between what you've done outside of work and what you've done inside of work, or how might some of the organizational skills that you've learned as a professional, some of the analytic skills uh, help you uh, become a better parent by systematizing uh, routines and practices in how you uh, parent. Uh, so I think you know finding finding overlaps is one way of, of being um, more productive with you, with what you have. Scott, that's all the time that we have today. I want to thank you so, so much for joining me today on She Becomes. It's truly been a pleasure getting to know you and talking about this new reality and navigating the world that we're in. So thank you again for joining us today. Well, thanks so much for having me. That was Dr. Scott Sunshine, Rice University Professor of Management and New York Times bestselling author. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, please be sure to share it and follow us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. Our music is from Ketza and Poddington Bear. Our editor is Laura Isensee. I'm Lauren Cooper, and this is She Becomes, a podcast from the Junior League of Houston. <laughs>